We have to go back! Welcome back to the Flashback Flicks Retro Movie Podcast. I'm Ricky. I'm Grayson. And I'm Maddie. And today we have our incredible guest, Maddie to the Max. What up, everybody? Hey, it is Madison Brudeller, also known as Maddie to the Max. Oh, yes. And we had to recruit her to review the 2004 animated, just perfect superhero movie, The Incredibles. It's like recruiting Peter Parker to the Avengers. Yes. Now, you loosely had to recruit me. It was like, hey, you want to do this? And I was like, yes. You want me to talk about Incredibles with you? Of course. It was not a hard recruitment cycle. (laughs) Uh, Yes. Now, Maddie, in case uh, you don't know, she makes amazing uh, impression videos and live action recreations. One of the first videos that I got to see of hers was her recreating... Uh, the Jack Jack attack scene from The Incredibles, and it was just, well, for lack of a better term, incredible. Uh, and she also has done Edna Mode impressions, and she's just an amazing impressionist and actor, and uh, just a joy to have on the show today. So thanks, Maddie. Oh, Ricky, you are so sweet. Thank you. Yeah, a live action Edna Mode scene was just absolutely so much fun to make. So. It was just like, hands down, I'm doing this. I'm doing this. I know so much. Uh, Yes. So, Maddie, go ahead and share with everyone your personal connection to The Incredibles. I think it's very, very amazing. I I have several rather large personal connections, but I think the one you're talking about, darling, is the fact that Edamod is my spirit (laughs) animal. Yes, indeed, darling. Yes. (laughs) Yes. Uh, So, when we... uh, I... Got to meet Maddie IRL at uh, VidCon a few years back, and she has a full-on live-action Edna Mode cosplay that is, it's perfect. It's it was designed by Edna Mode herself. It's amazing. So we're we're very happy to have you on. We're gonna go ahead and go into uh, some history just to refresh in your memory if you need it. Uh, The Incredibles (laughs) was a 2004 animated feature by Pixar. It's Pixar's sixth feature film and is the story of Bob Parr. He was Mr. Incredible back in the heyday, one of the largest and greatest superheroes before superheroes' greatest weakness hit them. Lawsuits. So, um, (laughs) the legendary uh, crime fighters were forced to go into retirement uh, because of all the lawsuits of all the different people in the city. And so, Years later, Bob is itching to get back into action, and he finds a chance where he gets to stop an evil genius and work on some uh, superhero stuff on the sly. Uh, it, it turns out it's an evil genius bent on diabolical revenge, and his family is the only team that can fly into the rescue for an extraordinary battle of wits and superpowers. This movie was made by the legendary Brad Bird of the Iron Giant fame. Now, way back in the 90s, John Lasseter tried to coax Brad Bird to come join him when he was at Pixar working on A Bug's Life. But Brad Bird said, you know what? Nah, I'm going to go work on the Iron Giant in 1999. And then when Warner Brothers didn't really promote the movie as well, John Lasseter's like, hey, you could come back, but only under one condition. 
you make the project that you've always wanted to make. And he decided to make The Incredibles. Yeah, those are some Willy Wonka rules. It's like, <laughs> just <There's> remember, only- <laughs> you get everything you ever wanted. You have to do whatever you want. Uh, okay. <laughs> Now, the original film title for The Incredibles was The Invincibles, and Brad Bird kind of wanted to make a uh, an homage to the spy and uh, comic book films of the 60s. And so that and his personal kind of struggle of uh, trying to achieve career goals with family, he came up with the amazing script and story of The Incredibles. It was released... In, like we said, 2004, and it kind of did incredibly well. And if you think this is the only time we're going to use that incredible pun, you're wrong. With a budget of only $92 million, it grossed $633 million worldwide. And it it just, it did so well. And it was one of the first Pixar films to feature human people as the protagonist and the first Pixar film to get a PG rating. And yeah, a lot of people die. And even more died actually in the original script. Like um, Helen's pilot friend, he actually died in the original script. You see, like he was the one flying the plane when it exploded and she was only able to save her kids. Oh, wow. (laughs) So a lot more people died. Yeah. And yeah, in the movie, I mean, gosh, I'm just so impressed with this movie, and I can't wait. I can't wait to talk about it. now, Maddie. Feel free to jump in with any fun facts that you have, but we're gonna go ahead and hop into some fun facts right before we get into our reactions. I'll start it off with this. Um, Let's do it. So, The Incredibles did borrow a lot of inspiration from other superhero properties. Um, even the team's dynamic is very reminiscent to Fantastic Four's. Um, the influence that The Incredibles had was so significant that the 2005 adaptation of the Fantastic Four, the live-action movie, were forced to make significant script changes and add more special effects because of the similarities to The Incredibles. Basically, they're like, well, we have to beat the cartoon about superheroes, right? Yeah. <laughs> <sighs> Well, I've also heard that they were also based very much, their powers were based on their personality. How Bob was always strong in supporting his family. Helen B.O. Mom was always trying to reach reach for new goals and, you know, stretching to try and do all these things as a mother. Violet being a shy teen, always trying to hide. Dash being a hyperactive. It was always something that, especially on Tumblr, you see a lot where it's like, this is a, you know, just getting into detail yes. about why their powers are this way. Which I always really like that angle because it's like, oh yeah, that's kind of their personality. But at the same time, when they were younger, were they mm-hmm. those personalities as well? That's why Frozone has to be cool. Ooh. Oh my gosh, I never got that. Of course, you're right. That's actually how Samuel L. Jackson got cast. Brad Bird said, "I want the coolest guy to play Frozone. Who's cooler than Samuel L. Jackson?" He's quoted saying that in one of the behind-the-scenes featurettes, and I'm just like, that's no how you do casting. You just say. Hmm. Who's this? Absolutely. And then, of course, Brad Bird had to voice Edna himself because he had to. He had to have all the good lines. I mean, he had just to just have the best lines ever. So he originally had Lily Tomlin as the uh, voice of Edna Mode, and he said, "No, I want something like this." And he started doing an Edna impression, and she said, "You do that. J- just do that." And he's she like, said, "Really? Do like, you yes. validate? I'll let myself out." <laughs> 
which I also think is great because then he gets all the best lines in the movie. But then I think actually the number one best um, line in the entire movie is the little kid at the end that's like, that was totally wicked, who is actually oh, Brad Bird's yes. son. Yes. That is actually his son, <laughs> who also voices a squirt in Finding wow. Nemo, the no little way. sea turtle. Yeah, yeah. So he gave his son also one of the best lines in the entire film. That's that's how you do it. <laughs> that, that's, a, that's a good day. Uh, uh, I have two more fun facts. Uh, one is, so DC Comics actually objected to the name Elastigirl due to their character, Elasta-Girl. <laughs> um, but a compromise was reached. Uh, whereas outside of the film, like promotional materials and even action figures, Elastigirl would be known as Mrs. Incredible. Oh. Ah, okay. That's interesting. Yeah, that's why I've seen Mrs. Incredible places instead of... Well, I've actually seen it. Mrs. Incredible slash Elastigirl, like on IMDb. Mm -hmm. uh, that makes sense. That makes a lot of sense. Yeah. And then I love finding little Easter eggs like this within movies. Uh, so... Uh, Mirage's toll-free phone number on her calling card is 866-787-7476 instead of the traditional, you know, 555 made-up number. At the time, that was right. an unregistered phone number uh, when the movie was released. However, when compared to letters on a typical phone pad, the last seven digits spell out the word superhero or S-U-P-R-H-R-O. The phone number was active as of the DVD's release, and it contained Mirage's voice directing you to the movie's website and told you to input the phone number on the site to get access to a secret message, including a deleted scene that was not included on the DVD. But the phone number now no longer works, and we can't test it out, so... <sighs> Dang it, because I was totally like, is that so good? Let me call it right now. I want to hear it. That would be amazing. And, ooh, actually, I have one more fun fact. So this is the first and thus so far only Pixar movie not to feature a distinct appearance of the Pizza Planet truck. Hmm. At all. At all. Well, like, at, like it's not even in there at all? It's not in there at all because Brad Bird was the first time that they brought an outside director to work on uh. a Pixar project. And he didn't know that that was something that he had to tell people to and He's like... Uh, I didn't even know that that was like a thing. And even so, I'm just assumed that someone would have done it, but they didn't. Oh, I mean, I know that I know that the A113 is in there, but it's in there so subtly. Right. Like it took me years to catch it because it's something that Mirage actually says it's not written anywhere. Right. So I know it took me like a really long time. And finally, my brother had to point it out to me and be like, listen to what she's saying there. It's A113. Oh, my gosh. Yes. Yeah. And those those are some fun facts. Excellent fun facts. The best fun facts. Thanks. I like this movie so much. I did some research uh, as opposed to our other Great episodes where I don't. So uh, <laughs> I don't know if you watched the credits all the way through, but similar to when we did Scream and there was no thanks whatsoever to that school district, uh, there is an odd call out at the end of this uh, where it says the Omnidroid is used permission of uh, Lucas, George Lucas's company. And so uh, I was like, wait a minute, are the Omnidroids part of the Star Wars universe? And a lot of other people asked the same question, apparently, when I looked it up. Uh, they are not. What they did was, because they're called Omnidroids, 
they figured anything that ends with droid is fair game in Star Wars. So just to do right by intellectual property laws, they reached out to George Lucas and was like, hey, we got a thing that ends with droid. Are you cool with this? And he's like, yeah, we're cool. Uh, so it's just like a courtesy credit. It's really nice. Oh, that's awesome. Well, now officially in my headcanon, now, yes, that is part of the Star Wars <laughs> universe. Absolutely. I mean, those droids got to come from somewhere. I could see those products of Syndrome still have to be around. He sold them. He sold them to companies to get rich. I mean, those those patents are still there. They're thinking robots. They learned. I mean, yes, that totally fits in the Star Wars universe for me now. <laughs> my brain is wrinkled. That's fantastic. That's fantastic. Wait, wait, so then would that mean that the Iron Giant is also a part of the, the Star Wars universe? I think it has to be. Yeah. I'm taking it as part of the Star Wars universe. Oh my gosh, this is going to be amazing, yes. guys. Yes, Well, we don't actually know. We don't know where the Iron Giant came from. He came from outer space, but we don't know where. I'm just saying, like, that works for me. This that is... totally works for me. What's real messed up is if the Iron Giant is actually the same size as, like, C-3PO, it's just all <laughs> of them are huge compared to us. <laughs> R2-D2 could destroy cities. <laughs> this is amazing. I love this so this much. This is beautiful. This is, this is the best. <laughs> all right, now we're going to go ahead and go into our reactions. And Maddie, with you being our guest, I'm going to ask you, yes. um, when was the first time that you watched The Incredibles? I remember watching it in theaters when it first came out with my entire family. And I was, whew, that was, what did you say, 2004? Mm -hmm. It was when it came out. So I was probably like 12, 14, somewhere in there maybe a bit younger, um, and I remember very distinctly when the Omnidroid first comes out, when Mr. Incredible's running through the forest, and he's looking for them, and he sees the thing, and then he sees the scratch on there, and the Omnidroid comes out from behind the trees. Um, it scared me so much, I jumped so high in my seat. Like, I'd never been scared like that before. Because normally, I can tell when these things are gonna be happening. Like, I can hear in the music, I can, I can predict when this stuff is gonna happen, and it just, I had no clue it was about to happen, and it made me jump so much. Like, it took me, like, three or four watchings of it to go, okay, it's, it's coming right here, okay, don't jump, okay, and here it is, okay. Like, it took me so long to get used to the fact that the Omnidroid was about to come out of the trees, and I remember that and just being like, what, that was so good afterwards i remember coming home and being like i want a superhero suit trying to go through my closet and my costume box trying to f figure out what my super suit would be and all that stuff and i'm super into it and it never went away <laughs> that's awesome how about you grayson so i also saw this in theaters and uh it it is uh consistently been one of my favorite pixar films uh, of, of the whole Pixar run. And so I get to appreciate it now in a different way than when I was a kid. Cause when I was a kid, it was definitely like, Oh, superheroes, this is awesome. And now as I get older with it, I identify more with like the parent characters who are like moving on with their lives and they have this day job and they're doing all these things to do right by their family. And I do think it is a movie that, uh, can evolve with the viewer. And so, uh, it's, uh, been really great looking into it for this episode and then watching it along the ways ever since 2004. Um, I, I just, I love coming back to this movie over and over again. Oh yeah. When I first saw the movie, I'm pretty sure I also saw it in theaters. I, the first time I saw it, I was like, Oh cool. Disney's kind of doing a superhero movie. All right. I'll give it a try because at this point in time, 
the only two big like superhero movies besides you know Batman, Superman, um, <laughs> and the uh, so early two thousands you had Spider Man and X Men, and The Incredibles. I said. Oh, everyone just needs to go home. They did it. This movie just did such a good job of fully encapsulating the superhero genre. I it was one of the first times that I intentionally like rewatched the movie just to find all these different things. I remember finding in the DVD that you could get access to those different uh the files the, like the chronos like computer file yeah. you can go through you can watch and you can see just on a disney dvd all of these people have been deceased i'm like oh my gosh this is so yeah. dark and actually in on that dvd I, I have the two disc dvd um before blu-ray so it was actually there's really good features on there um and there's there are files with those would there sometimes be sound files like you they got voice actors to no do like way. there's a voice yeah, there, there's a voice for, like, um, uh, uh, Thunderhead. So you can actually hear him talking. And you can hear, he's not the brightest guy, but he's got, he's got a good heart. And you can you can hear all that. And there's stuff for Elastigirl and all these different characters on there. So, yeah, it's, like, the best. Gosh, that's amazing. Yeah, like, I, I just really, one of my favorite things about this movie just as a whole is that it does a really cool thing that I feel like a lot of people forget about when it comes to superheroes. Um, it's the stakes are real, but it also did a campy era superheroes without it being super campy. Like when right. Mr. Incredible looks up and says, bomb voyage with a straight <laughs> face, I'm just like, oh, I know everything I need to know about this movie right away. Like we're in yeah. this world and seeing all of the people's reactions to these superheroes and even just the, the opening interview of just like, sometimes I wish... The, the city would just stay safe. I mean, I feel like the main, like, hey, I, I just cleaned up this place. I'm like, yes, this is so good. Like, yes. it, it's this world of superheroes that I love to see more than what I think a lot of people think superheroes just are. Just like, oh, you know, they just yeah. come in, save the day, blah, blah, blah. But it's like, no, it, these are people. And just love yeah, that's what, that's what was so good about The Incredibles because it made them real people. It was like, their superpowers were second. Like when Bob comes in after uh, his uh, joyride with Frozone of taking down the building and Helen's like, you knocked down a building? I can't believe you don't want to go to your son's graduation. It's like, yeah, they're superheroes and doing these superhero things, but they're also people dealing with people things. And they have family and they have family issues and they have marital issues. And they have midlife crises. And that's what's so great about it. I mean... To this day, nothing has done what Incredibles did, which is take the concept of the superheroes and actually make it realistic. Like, if superheroes were really in our world, you know people would be suing them yes. because we would do stuff like that. Absolutely. We, we would. It would be like, you have superheroes. Well, they cut my knee once. I need to sue them. You know that would be happening. And it just, it, it, it totally took an idea that you never thought of and was like, Oh my gosh, nobody has ever thought to sue a superhero. Yep. And it, it, it like made it real but campy and brilliant and worth watching a bajillion and a half times like I did. And it, you could and you could pick up these new little nuggets of information as you go along like watching the commentary. Like in the, the 100 Mile Dash, uh, the scene where Dash is running on water, that cave that Dash runs into at the end, if you, you can actually tell that that cave is also the cave that Mr. Incredible came up through at the end where... Um, 
um, Gazer Beam's body is. You can hear that in the DVD commentary. They actually tell you that. And if you, you can just see it for like half a frame that it's there, that, that is the same cave. And these are just the little things that I pick up. That's phenomenal. <laughs> I know we talked about it right before we start recording. Would you also mind just saying like while we're recording um, how like the many times that you've watched The Incredibles? Yeah, so I this was one of the first DVDs that my family owned. So I think it was this and Pirates of the Caribbean was the only two DVDs that my family owned for the longest time. So me and my brother would just watch Incredibles on repeat, just again and again and again and again and again, to the point where we actually got bored of the English version and started watching it in the other languages. We watched it in French. We watched it in Spanish. We watched it so many times in those other languages that we started to be able to quote it in these other languages. <laughs> I can quote some of the lines from Edna in Spanish <laughs> in these other languages. It's ridiculous. The fun and thing is, when you watch The Incredibles in French, Bon Voyage's name is Steve. <laughs> But he's still speaking in French. <laughs> All right, now we're going to introduce a brand new superhero. I mean, this superhero has made its appearance on this show several times, but I, I'm bringing this superhero out of retirement. You may know them as Headcanon. Headcanon. <laughs> Headcanon is a part of the show where we share with you unique ideas about the movie and untold stories based on evidence provided by the film. And Maddie, you are our guest. So please present to us your headcanon. So I have a rather interesting headcanon that apparently nobody else has ever thought of. It's always been so real to me. I think that the uh, Incredibles universe also takes place in the Sky High universe. Do you any of you, do either of you remember <laughs> Sky High, the Disney live action show or TV movie? Yeah. I remember watching the trailer. Yes, it's so good. But it actually makes sense for me because. Um, the theory is that the uh, the Incredibles and most of the Supers at that time were government experiments, that they activated the uh, superhero gene in them and then they could then reproduce, and which they passed down onto their children. And the children that we see in Sky High, you know, it, it spreads out, it dilutes, it becomes more Supers, then takes place after that because Incredibles takes place in the 60s and Sky High takes place in the early 2000s. So those could be the descendants of some of them that we see. We see that um, uh, Will Stronghold's dad has super strength, which could be considered that he is actually a descendant of, Miss the, of the Incredibles. So that is my theory, my headcanon, that they take place in, uh, in the same universe. <laughs> you know, Maddie, uh, we brought you on this podcast as a guest. It's not polite to show up headcanon like that. That's so good. <laughs> I've been thinking about this one for many years. Now, Grayson, did you have any headcanon? Ricky, I'm I'm pretty sure that we're going to double dip here. Okay. Well, I don't think I actually don't think so. But you no? go ahead. Yeah. No, you know what? I'm feeling dangerous. I'm going to let you go first. Oh wait, no, never mind. We're absolutely going to double dip. <laughs> uh, I'm that confident. No, I I'm going to yeah, you you please. Okay. Please. So I mentioned uh, before that this is the first and so far only Pixar film that does not feature the uh, planet, uh, Pizza Planet truck. Uh, taking it really outside of the uh, Pixar connected universe. Because it 
really is a part of a different universe, and that universe oh. being the Marvel Cinematic Universe. Now, Ooh, all hear right. me out. Now, we see an Ant-Man, because I, I did a little bit of research. So we see an Ant-Man that um, Hank Pym, in the 80s or even before then, he was Ant-Man. He was like an Ant-Man. And then even for trailers in Ant-Man 2, we see that like, oh, yeah, you know, we used to do some other stuff with like, all, like I don't want to give any spoilers away. But like, you, you kind of see that there were was this whole other generation of heroes that existed prior to Iron Man, prior to the Avengers and all these other people. I think that Incredibles takes place then because that would explain how technology is so far in advance. Because Syndrome has almost the exact same origin story or kind of business model that Iron Man does. He's just like, hey, I'm just going to make this technology and sell it to people, whoever wants it. But then Iron Man, his only difference is that he becomes a hero. Do you really think that Syndrome is going to be the first person to do that. He just did it to that scale and to that degree when he did. Uh, and so my headcanon is that The Incredibles all take place this, and the reason why people don't remember them is because they said the exact, they told you. They said, listen, every single time you do this, we have to pay for, we have to pay for damages. We have to pay to erase people's memories. I'm like, okay, you said that too nonchalantly. You can erase people's memories? And so that's why a lot of people wouldn't remember them, except for the, the bystanders, which I loved when they said, I was like, oh, look, it's a super. Hey, is it that guy? No, that guy, he had a different kind of color scheme. I'm just like, oh, well, I'm glad that 15 years <laughs> later, people just know who these supers were. Uh, but yeah, that's my biggest piece of headcanon is that the Incredibles do exist inside of the Marvel Cinematic Universe. Headcanon. That is beautiful. Thank you. I love that. That is so good. Thank that you. Is, that is almost better than mine. Almost. But you uh, know. Let's so be good. honest. It's not. <laughs> I love it. <laughs> uh, all right, Grayson, how about you? All right. Yeah, we did not double dip. We nice. are We are in the Whoa. clear. So um, at the beginning of this segment, you introduced Head Cannon as its own hero, obviously with the ability to shoot cannonballs out of its face. <laughs> but there is a second ability that Head Cannon has, and that's the ability to stretch. So <laughs> let's stretch super far with some head cannon. Um, now, Brad Bird, uh, we've mentioned in previous episode, uh, he was creator of Iron Giant. So I was desperate to connect Iron Giant to the Incredibles in my head cannon. Um, to the point where I went looking for Hogarth, where maybe Hogarth doesn't exist, but maybe he does. And people who know me know I like to go for the absolute darkest interpretation. Oh, no. <laughs> Here we go. Of anything. Oh, no. I believe, and you're going to have to work with me on the timeline here, but I believe that Hogarth is Gazer Beam. Um, <gasps> now, Gazer Beam, his official name is listed in the database as Simon J. Palladino, an obvious alias to an alias. <laughs> but I believe that Hogarth grew up to be Gazer Beam um, and was attracted to the island, to Syndrome's island, with the promise of being reunited with his long-lost friend, uh, the Iron Giant. Uh, obviously, Hogarth has modeled his entire uh, power scheme of the uh, the vision beams off of the Iron Giant's ability that we see at the end of that movie, where he is shooting similar beams out of his eyes. 
I believe that Syndrome lured him there, saying, like, I have found him. These are his coordinates. Uh, but when Gazer Beam got there, he realized that his friend had been stripped for parts to make the Omnidroids. At which point, the Omnidroid, having once been his friend, now kills Gazer Beam in that cave. But not before he can etch the word Kronos into the wall. Now, there are some issues with this, obviously Simon J. Palladino being one of them, the other one being that if this takes place in 1962 and the Iron Giant takes place in 1957, that Hogarth has only aged five years <laughs> since we last saw him. So, yeah. But I'm sure one of these heroes Another has the alias. ability of time travel and probably uh, did something there. So, uh, But if you choose to believe it, Hogarth is Gazer Beam attracted to the island to be reunited with his friend that has now been stripped down into an Omnidroid. Okay. That's a little too dark and I don't want to think about it. <laughs> yeah. The timeline's a little funky, but still it's like, oh my gosh, that really threw me for a loop. With the ability to stretch. <laughs> the ability to stretch. I really do like that. In fact, I with the whole timeline piece happening, with supers being like outlawed, it does make sense that it would exist. Like even just like without changing anything, Iron Giant fits right perfectly in there. So yeah. while the right. heroes were in retirement, they didn't have anyone to stop a giant robot threat like that um right. but right. It, like just kind of piggybacking off of your head cannon that i do think that that robot piece for the omnidroid comes from the iron giant like i just think that it's yeah it's just like just that thinking mechanic is just so good like oh i think that that fits so perfectly all right now we're gonna go into the part of the show where we like to talk about recasts and remakes so if the movie were to be remade today who would you cast, and what would the storyline be? If it was animated, I would need the original voice cast back because I can hear the difference, and it would drive me up the wall to <laughs> not have the original voice cast. Absolutely. Um, but I have two things. One, if we, they were going to do it live action, I would want Chris Evans to play Mr. Incredible. Sure. Of course. Because he absolutely can. He yes. can totally do it. We've seen him play a dad, and we've seen him play a beefcake, and we've seen him be everything in between, so he could totally do it. But if I was going to do another animated reboot of it, I would want something that would take place in between The Incredibles and Sky High that would connect them and show like them yes. founding the school and the next generation. I would, or seeing, seeing the kids kind of older, like what they do now with their powers, you know, what are the kids' superhero names? Because I have theories that the Dash would be Dash's name and that Miss Disappear would be Violet's name. And because that's what one of the security guards calls her. You can't run hide from me, little Miss Disappear. Like nice. that would totally be her, her hero name. And then Jack of all trades, I think, would be Jack Jack's name. But those are just a theory. Yes. Nice. <laughs> oh, man. Why didn't he call her Miss Appear? It's right there. Henchmen are well, just because, dumb. Because, <laughs> but have slightly better aim than stormtroopers. Yes, yes. Very true. Yeah, the the original voice cast is just so good. And with an animated property, yeah. there's no real reason to do like a ton of stunt casting for the roles. Yeah. I would love it if they did just make the leap and just say, this is part of the Marvel Cinematic Universe. Um, <laughs> or if they were to do it as a um, a self-contained universe itself. So that the Incredibles universe 
it becomes like its own world where we basically have like a whole animated series that is just the old adventures um, of uh, Mr. Incredible and friends. And we just like a prequel series. Exactly. But then in the movie, we just see um, the Incredibles universe as a whole. Um, And then I would love it if NBC picked up the legal drama where it's just all the superhero lawsuits. Um, and it's just, yes. it's just, um, we oh, get yeah. iced tea, some more work, um, and you know, just, uh, have him be the judge in all of the court cases. So Hollywood, I know you're listening. Uh, just write the check out to Ricky. That's R I C K. Yeah. That'll cash. <laughs> yeah. yeah, yeah. <laughs> well, I got a full recasting if they did it live for Mr. Incredible. I have John Goodman. Yes. Uh, because you know he's yes. available now. Um, Elastigirl, I have uh, Julie Bowen. I like Julie Bowen. Remind me who she is. She is a uh, season one Claire Dunphy on Modern Family. There we go. Yes. And subsequent ah. seasons. <laughs> um, for Violet, I have Aubrey Plaza. Yes. Uh, this yes. Is a little, maybe a little aged up to kind of match the actors uh, currently. Uh, Dash, uh, I have season one Luke from Modern Family. Who if we else? don't want to do the Modern Family double dip, what we could do is just do season one Luke uh, from Luke Cage. <laughs> and then <laughs> he's just real fast. Real spry. Uh, Frozone, you got to keep Samuel L. Jackson. Uh, oh, absolutely. For Syndrome, I have T.J. Miller because I thought he sounded almost exactly like Jason Lee to the point where I had to look it up to make sure this wasn't like T.J. Miller's first thing. But I think he would have been like in high school or something. Um, and yeah, yeah, then yeah. finally for Edna Mode, I uh, have Danny DeVito. <laughs> <laughs> I just want to see what he can do. At least bring him in for an audition. You know, that's oh all I'm going to say. <laughs> I, the only person who I swap out is um, Jason Maybaum, who plays Levi in Raven's Home, um, would be my casting for Dash, just because he has a really great kid's voice. I think you're really going to want Luke Cage. <laughs> <laughs> they should get, um, what's his name, the kid that was in Looper? Bruce Willis. <laughs> <laughs> Start with Joseph Gordon running across the water real fast, and then he stops, but then a platform rises, and he sees his <laughs> suit, and they're like, the Incredibles. Yes. For this to happen, we have to have uh, uh, Christopher Nolan directing the Incredibles dark, gritty remake. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> yes. I am here for it. I am here for it. Yeah. Which means that, you know, Gazer Beam then has to be played by Ed Hardy. Uh, Tom Hardy, not Ed Hardy. He's not going to make t-shirts. <laughs> All right, let's take that back. Before he was Gazer Beam, he was mild-mannered Ed Hardy. Just making shirts. Oh, I mean, that the Kronos would have been, had much more flair to it. Right. Ed Hardy had etched that into the wall. No, Are Tom Hardy, rivets? because he always has to have his face partially covered. So. Yeah. <laughs> yes. That was the original joke. <laughs> I love it. I love it. All right, now we're going to go into our final segment where we give you our reasons to recommend. So, Maddie, our guest, our Incredibles expert, why would you recommend to others the movie The Incredibles? Because it's the best movie of all time. It's it's so good. It's 
the only it's one of the movies that I can watch multiple times. It's my number two favorite movie of all time. It is so good. It has so much depth. It has a character for everyone. Everyone can relate to. It's such a good story. It's not just for kids. It's for adults. It's for teens. It's for everyone. It is just such a well put together story. You can find something new in it every single time. You can just turn off the screen and just listen to it, and it's still entertaining. I know I've done it. Nice. I'm always interested. When people list something as their number two favorite, what's your number one favorite? Count of Monte Cristo. That's that's so interesting because if we were, <laughs> I I, I love knowing so, one and two. So disconnected because it's like people who like The Incredibles also liked Count of Monte Cristo. <laughs> <laughs> or if you don't have time to watch the entire movie again, you can always go watch my live action all of Edna Mode scenes or my. Incredibles impression video or my live action Jack Jack attack on my channel youtube.com forward slash Maddie to the max subscribe that works too (laughs) it sure does it sure does I would recommend the Incredibles because hands down it is by far the best Fantastic Four movie that will probably ever exist Um, (laughs) Frozone is the silver surfer I mean let's be honest The Fantastic Four franchise, I think, has missed what The Incredibles delivers every single time, which is family first. Yes. They focus on the family dynamic first, and the superpowers take backseat to everything. That's the thing. Like, this is a superhero movie where the super abilities take backseat to the rest of the narrative. And I think that that is so brilliant and so smart like they use the superheroes and the superpowers as a vehicle to tell you the story about family and that's great and that's what makes this movie worth watching multiple times in different languages with only sound like that's 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 the testament to the incredible power of the incredibles put a bow on it And that is our incredible review of The Incredibles. Let us know what you remember about The Incredibles. What are your favorite things about it? On Twitter, we are at Flashback Flicks. And I want to give a huge thanks to Maddie from Maddie to the Max for joining us. Maddie, where can people find you on the internet? You can find me at youtube.com forward slash Maddie to the Max. It's M-A-D-I, the number two, the Max. I am Maddie to the Max on all my social medias. Please hit me up there and let me know what your favorite headcanon for The Incredibles is. Was it one of ours? Do you have your own? Please, I want to hear them. And Maddie, I mean, I cannot say this enough, is one of the best impressionists I've ever had the joy of knowing in any capacity. Uh, She's fun and she is a workhorse. She makes so many great videos and so many intricate videos on a weekly basis. So definitely head over to your YouTube channel and show her all of the love. Thank you, Ricky. (laughs) Absolutely. And, uh, and it would mean a lot to us if you could leave us a rating on Apple Podcasts. Uh, open up the podcast app on your mobile device. Search Flashback Flicks. And on a scale of one to five, I guess, eyes? Would it be eyes or? Yeah, eyes. It could be uh, one to five shredded capes. <laughs> <laughs> or on a scale Because five of... shredded capes is the best because then no more capes. Oh, I like it. I like it. On a scale of one to five shredded capes, how would you rate this podcast? I'd give it five because no capes is the best capes. 
And be sure to tune in next time right here on the Flashback Flicks Retro Movie Podcast. Until then, remember to be kind and rewind.